Hi, I'm Neil Stavum. Here's the podcast for Connecting Faith. Enjoy the conversation. Real conversations about how we live out our faith every day. Welcome to Connecting Faith. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Neil Stavum, Ted Ross at the controls. We've got Chris at the phones today and going to have a good conversation talking about marriage, Ted. Uh, oh, good. Good, good, good. My wife told me the other day that I don't take her to expensive places anymore. So I took her to the gas station. Yeah. Which is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It was actually funnier about, you know, four years ago, yeah, the gas right, prices right. were a little higher, but so. Then <laughs> someone has said the most important four words for a successful marriage. I'll do the dishes. Uh-huh. I, that was, I think that's right behind the three most important words for marriage, the three words that every woman loves to hear. Mm-hmm. Let's eat out. Oh, so, there you, you go. Know, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, uh, someone has said a successful marriage requires falling in love many times and always with the same person. And, of course, that's <laughs> vital. Yeah. one of the uh, challenges we have here. Maybe something from uh, Henny Youngman that's always good to get, you know, yeah. He says, some people ask the secret of our long marriage. He says, we take time to go to our restaurant two times a week. A little candlelight dinner, soft music, and dancing. She goes, Tuesdays, I go Fridays. Yeah, so like, yeah, All right, now right. we're, we're going to talk uh, today about uh, the first few years of marriage. Uh, eight ways to strengthen your I do. It's going to be a great conversation. I do want to, speaking of good conversations, I want to remind you that if you are uh, able to search around in your uh, your Faith Radio app or your browser to check out the interview this morning on the Early Morning Late Show. Bill Arnold had with Randy Johnson, founder of God's Pit Crew. They provide tangible help for victims of Hurricane Harvey and Irma. And it was a great conversation. Yeah, really great. Live from Houston. He's there for relief efforts today. The first few weeks would clean up our vital. And uh, we've been running some spots from that, godspitcrew.org, right? Godspitcrew.org slash hurricane if you want to be a part of supporting that but you know just like the first few uh, weeks and months after a, a major event like a hurricane are vital to how the future goes so the first few years of marriage set the tone and lay the foundation for a good marriage for years to come and that's what we're going to talk about today looking forward to our conversation with jim burns jim is president of homeward executive director of the homeward center for youth and family at azusa pacific university he's uh, written uh, Thousands of well, I don't know if it's thousands, but uh, he's he's there. You know, they're they're more. You know, just about everybody knows how to read. Has read something by Jim Burns. I think that's probably a safe way to put it. And Jim and his wife Kathy have three daughters and now a grandchild. And uh, so we're gonna if we run out of things to talk about first few years of marriage, we're gonna get into grandchildren. But Jim, good to have you back with us. Neil, great to be back. I was writing as fast as I could. You should do stand-up. Those are some great lines. <laughs> you know, uh, Google is your friend, so and check it out. Boy, is that the truth. That's right. <laughs> Jim uh, That's hosts right. the uh, the Homeward Radio Show. You hear it uh, Saturday mornings here on Faith Radio, and I always love to hear your uh, good conversations and insights. So we're going to talk about a new book that you've written with Doug Fields, and this is kind of a follow-up to Getting Ready for Marriage. It's the first few years of marriage, and, and uh, I, I know that... Uh, you're concerned that we probably uh, don't really know all we should know about uh, making a solid, strong marriage. Well, you're right. Doug and I were desperate. We have four kids who got married in a very short time between us. And uh, we realized as we started looking at even material, there was very little material out there. And uh, both of us said we needed this book because our first few years weren't easy. Um, you know, you, you, you go through uh, your engagement period and you're doing all kind of the right stuff. And then you get 
married and all of a sudden you begin to drift because you're, uh, you know, you're getting busy with work and you're getting busy with new careers and you're getting busy with, you know, sometimes making a baby and all these other things. And uh, really divorce happens in the first four or five years. The majority of divorces in America happens in the first four or five years. So it's apparently something that a lot of people need and uh, don't work on it in those first four or five years. We have a couple of copies, by the way, of the book, The First Few Years of Marriage, that we're going to give away here today. And so you can uh, sign up for a drawing for that. If you call 877-933-2484, give Chris your contact information. We do the drawing at the top of the hour. And, uh, Jim, and the, you had, uh, Dr. Gary Chapman wrote the foreword of the book, and he made this statement. He says, marriage cannot be simulated. And I thought, you know, that's not how culture looks at it, because there's so much emphasis on cohabitation. So what is it that's so distinctive that marriage cannot be simulated? Well, can It has to be something that you, uh, that you work on uh, at all times. And, it, and, and work is a bad word, but work can also be a good word. And so when you are intentional about it, intentional, uh, proactive connection you know, causes a healthy marriage. And if you fade and, uh, and not put energy into it, you know, it was that great theologian, he's sort of up by you guys, his name uh, was Vince Lombardi of the Green Bay Packers. You know, he said, when you've strayed away from the basics, you've gone a long ways toward defeat. And, and both Doug and I think that in the first few years, we tend to stray away from the basics of, you know, all of a sudden we quit doing dates and we quit, you know, et, you know putting the same kind of energy that we did before marriage. And, and uh, what Gary has said over and over again, I'm so grateful he wrote the Ford. He's been a mentor of mine for years. But what Gary is trying to say is, is look at, you know, you've got to work on this thing at all times. I mean, what I love about Oh, I've been married 43 years. Gary's been married a lot longer than me. You know, he still talks about the idea that you have to keep, you know, the marriage fresh. And, uh, you know, Kathy and I had a horrible first few years, and uh, we wondered if we were going to make it. And what we realized was that perseverance, you know, is a good thing. And so as we persevered and we began to learn some of the tools, even the stuff that we, you know, are talking about in the first few years, uh, you know, it, it changed the way we did our relationship and the way we did life and you know, we would both say that, you know, we are so glad that we didn't make the poor decision of walking away in those first few years when we actually talked about it and thought about it. I would be on the way, Neil, to I was a youth pastor. I'd be on the way to, you know, talking to the kids. Kathy and I'd be in an argument and then I'd talk to the kids on the on the joy of a Christian family feeling somewhat hypocritical. Yeah. <laughs> but, no doubt. No doubt. Well, I think we've all had, you know, those moments in, in ministry sure. where we realize that, you know, things could be better at home. And, you know, one of the things that you point out right away, I mean, it's drift. Uh, is, is that a byproduct yeah. of busyness? I mean, is, is busyness really at the heart of much of what we're uh, talking about today? Well, I think it is for some families. In fact, I think actually this breathless pace in which we tend to live our lives uh, could be one of the biggest issues in the American family, period, or in our lives, but definitely in our marriages. And so when we're busy, we're, you know, we, be, we do begin to drift. And so, you know, what takes place is we begin to, as I was saying, stray away from the basics because we're just too busy. And then we uh, really kind of start drifting. Then we look up one day and we're lost. And uh, then we make some really poor decisions about, you know, the relationship. So we have to be careful. Well, you know what? When I graduated from uh, my grad school at Princeton Oh, my goodness, years and years ago, a friend of mine, I didn't stay for the graduation because I wanted to get back and do ministry. And a friend of mine wrote me a note. and He said, Dear Jim, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. You know, love, David. We missed you at graduation. <laughs> you know, that, that was prophetic for me because yeah. I wasn't going to be in the arms of another woman or those kind of things. I was just going to be so busy doing, quote, unquote, important things that, you know, I, especially in those first three years, I was missing uh, my relationship with Kathy. Um, and I kind of didn't know it. Not having, I didn't come from a Christian home, and I didn't come from great marriage mentors in my own family background. 
And so I didn't really know what you do or how you do it. And so, you know, I didn't realize it was fading. And Kathy had to say to me over and over again, this isn't working, you know, and um, it was humbling. Yeah, I don't think any of us really like to hear those words. And yet, how thankful, how thankful we are to, to hear them, all right? No, exactly. And, and yet we do need to sometimes say, you know, if it's not working, that's fine. Fix it. Yeah. Uh, I, I had a, a story, and I, we actually tell it in this book, but I, I had a situation where last year I was – I got to meet my first astronaut, and I was, I was thrilled. A friend of mine said, see that guy sitting in the third row? He's an astronaut. You want to go meet him? And I went, yeah. So I, I was speaking, and I went over to him, and we happened to be right in the shadows of NASA where I was speaking, and I said – what is it like to have these people, I'm pointing to NASA, in charge of you when you're out in space? He'd been up in space twice. And he said, well, actually, they're only in charge 3% of the time. The rest of the time, we're doing course corrections. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, no, it's, a, it's a, just a bunch of course corrections. And if we drift too far, then we're not going to land back you know, on planet Earth, and that's not a good thing. And I thought, well, in some ways, marriage is that. You know, it's doing course corrections, constant course corrections, and, uh, and to, to, so, that, so that the drift uh, – you know, doesn't happen so bad that you wake up one day and say, you know, I'm not even in love with this person anymore because, you know, you, you were, you are. It's just a matter of, you know, the drift happened and you didn't, do, you didn't take care of it. You know, it's interesting thinking in, in terms of all the pre-marriage options that we have available today, is, is readiness for marriage still an issue? I know that, you know, we're talking the first few years of marriage, but no, you yeah. really recommend, you know, courses and steps. I mean, yeah. you would think that we shouldn't have to have any problems. Well, you know, it is – here's an interesting uh, statement, and it actually comes out of the state of Oklahoma. So this is not a, a Christian comment, but it's the state comment. They say that there is a 31 percent better chance that people will stay marriage if they have premarital counseling or education. And actually states like Oklahoma, Florida, Minnesota, um, they either lower their marriage application fee or just take it out if people will have uh, premarital education. You know, the problem is, and you mentioned it at at, right at the beginning of this, is that a lot of people play at marriage. It's pretend mar- they would call it pretend marriage uh, in cohabitation. And j- just take the science of it. The science of cohabitation says, you know, more divorces, uh, more adultery, uh, less uh, physical intimacy satisfaction. You know, the list goes on. So we've got a lot of people who, who, in my humble opinion, did it wrong. They didn't get the kind of counseling they needed or the kind of help they needed, and they made choices that didn't enhance the fact that it could help their marriage like crazy if they had not already cohabitated. And and uh, and even and I'm getting that from the secular world. They have a problem because there's a moral issue that they don't want to talk about. But you know, frankly, it's not working. So what we do find is that when couples uh, the statistics just changed, you know, like crazy when couples get premarital education, when they are working on their marriage, and when they're not living together, um, the ability to stay married, you know, lasts like crazy. And then when couples work on their marriage in those first few years and build the solid foundation, then that's what takes them through the rest of their uh, through their married life. And uh, they look back at it and say, yeah, we made some good decisions there. But unfortunately, a lot of pe- uh, people don't do it that way. We're going to talk more with Jim Burns about the first few years of marriage, eight ways to strengthen your I do. That's the title of new book at the gym and his good friend Doug Fields has have co-written. And we've got a couple of copies to give away and would love to get one in your hands. You can sign up for the drawing 877-933-2484, 877-93-FAITH. Maybe you have you know, family members that are just uh, newly married. You want to just uh, give them some great insight. We'll get more and 
This book would be a good resource. Um, or you may have a question about your marriage journey. You can join in the conversation, 877-93-FAITH, or if submitted online, you go to myfaithradio.com and click on the Connecting Faith Show page. There's an email link there. Jim Burns, of course, is the president of Homeward and executive director of the Homeward Center for Youth and Family, the Zuzu Pacific University, best-selling author and broadcaster. And in just a moment, we're going to talk about something called the 1% rule. We'll find out what that is. Stay tuned for more. Well, that's uh, the assumption, right? It's all about love, but, you know, um, love and infatuation kind of wanes a bit. And if you're newly married, you know, as time passes, you can kind of drift apart. And suddenly there are challenges that are really common to any marriage, but maybe seem new to you. We're talking about some ways to strengthen your I do with uh, Jim Burns. The new book is called The First Few Years of Marriage. Jim is the president of Homeward. You hear him on the Homeward radio broadcast Saturday mornings here on Faith Radio. Homeward.com is the website, by the way. He and his wife, Kathy, have been married for some 40 years and have uh, three daughters and uh, grandchildren. And uh, Jim, you uh, addressed something called the 1% rule in uh, the book. Let's talk about that. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, 1% isn't very much time, really. But And we're, we ask people, hey, would, in your first few years, would you be willing to give each other 1%? And people would go, of course, that's that's easy. And, you know, 1% actually equals one hour and 40 minutes. Uh, you know, that's not really that much time. But in one hour and 40 minutes, you could go on a date. And uh, And although Doug and I don't believe this is the you know end all. We do believe that we have we say this uh, when we speak at our refreshing marriage conferences. We've never seen couples who date on a weekly or at least a regular basis who um, who end up fading because they're working on their marriage. And the, a date isn't to uh, you know talk about insurance and you know the kids or whatever. A date is actually to you know really court each other and and relate to each other and have serious fun and. For couples who are doing that, if they take that hour and 40 minutes, and it doesn't have to be, you know, you know they don't have money, that's fine. Kathy and I didn't. We co-opt babysitting, and, um, you know, sometimes our date, we live by the ocean, so we, our date might be walking at the ocean. So it wasn't fancy, but, you know, really connecting. And so we challenge couples. That's actually one of the gauges is, are you having serious fun? And so do you still have fun? And, you know, do you date regularly where you really court each other? And uh, it, every date doesn't have to be perfect, but it's the the idea of my wife. I was a busy uh, youth pastor at the time, and that was also Doug. He's 10 years younger than me. He was in my youth group back in the, you know, long, long time ago, so I've kind of done life with him. And um, and we realized that that date, we could be busy as all get out, but when our wives knew that we would give them the quote-unquote hour and 40, it's just a cutesy little thing. It could be two hours. It could be an hour and a half. But, you know, if we were giving them that time, they seemed to be fine with that as long as they knew they were going to get that date and that on that date we'd have some fun. You know, so I, I think – um, that's a that's a key factor. When I was getting doing my PhD, I did uh, my my uh, my entire you know thing was on traits of a healthy family, and what I found was that um, traits these traits of a healthy family. One of the main one was play. So when families play together, they stay together. But also when couples play and have fun together, they stay together. So that's pretty much it in a nutshell. And what we're doing, we introduce that in a chapter, which was one of the gauges: laugh daily and date weekly. And again, our our assumption is that when couples do that, 
it, it works. But again, the truth is, is that we get serious, we get busy, we get distracted with all the other things of life, and we don't laugh daily with each other, and we don't date weekly. Well, the the next chapter we sort of touched on it, but it's it's uh, the problem of busyness stuff. But slow down. I'm just wondering, you know, how do we slow down really? I mean, we we all we're tied to our uh, our screens, and you know, if there's uh, you know children that come along early in the marriage, I mean, it just it's just go all the time. Is there any no, strategy no. to really slow down? Well, I think it takes deep discipline, frankly, because you're right. We are so um, busy, and and you know, one of the things I had to look in my own life is that, and Doug says this all the time, is that oftentimes busy people are broken people. And, uh, you know, because there's something going, you know, why are they so busy? We can stay busy, but we just have to have the discipline of being able to say no. For for me, it was a wake up when I, uh, you know, about a few years into the marriage, Kathy said, I'm not sure I want to have children. And I went, hmm. what? You know, our first dates, we talked about children. And she said, well, you're great with everybody else's kids. You're working seven days a week. And most nights. And, you know, I'm, I'm really, you know, hurting here. I feel like I'm being left out. And I had to say something to her, Neil, that I'm not proud of. And I want to make sure that your listeners hear the whole thing. I said, I'm having an affair. <laughs> now the affair wasn't with a woman, wasn't with a man. The affair was with my job. My mistress was my job and it was getting in the way of my relationship with Kathy. And that's not in God's economy. I think it's God first, then our marriage, then our children, if we have children and then our vocation. And if people can learn that earlier on, so Kathy and I made a decision there. We would, that's when we decided to do the non-negotiable date night. We also decided we would only be out three nights a week, which um, was crazy. I was out, you know, six and seven, but we decided to, to, to take that time and, and connect with each other. I think it was one of the smartest decisions we as a couple ever made um, was to slow down. You know, she used to say to me, we have a Messiah. He's doing very well. You don't need to replace him. <laughs> she hasn't said that to me for a long time, but you know, in some ways, uh, I say that now, you know, Homeward's the largest provider of parenting seminars in the U.S. And I say that to soccer moms and hockey dads all the time, because it's kind of the same thing that, that we're, we do. We just get so busy. So we have to say no. I remember speaking at Promise Keepers pastor's conference years and years ago. And Jack Hayford, who was a real mentor in my life, said uh, to me after I said to him, you know, what's your secret to leadership success, major leader? He was the, what they called the pastor of ceremonies at the Diamondback Stadium and uh, where these guys were, you know, doing their thing. And, and he said to me, you know, Jim, it's, it's what I've chosen not to do, not what I've chosen to do. I've had to say no to really important things to say yes to the most important I went, wow, the discipline of, of doing that was phenomenal. But, you know, he just lost his wife recently, and they had a beautiful marriage, and they had wonderful kids and grandkids. And, you know, I've watched his life over the years, and he, was, he had the ability to say he was busy and successful in, in his work and in his mission. But the fact of the matter was is that he said no a lot of times so that he could say yes to the priorities that he felt were the right ones, which would be God, his marriage, his children, and then his vocation. Mm-hmm. Talking the first few years of marriage, first few years of marriage, eight ways to strengthen your I do. Jim Burns, my guest today. Uh, Jim, uh, one of the th- things that I should talk about is that we discover early on in the marriage that, you know, there are some differences and we have to work through that. And, and uh, you know, there is that, uh, you know, theory that says you can only change yourself. But, uh, you know, we live in a time now where we want to be true to ourselves. So how do we balance those two together? Well, we have to quit trying to change our spouse, and I'm a expert at that. <laughs> trying to cha- I've tried to change Kathy for 43 years. And you know what? What I loved about Kathy, we dated all through college. And what I loved about Kathy 
I began to not like when we got married because I wanted her to be more like me. Mm-hmm. But yet when we were dating, I, you know, I, I sort of liked that. So what I had to learn uh, kind of the hard way was to during those first few years was I had to learn to celebrate our differences. And that was hard for me. But it wasn't that I could, uh, you know, just simply, you know, try to change her. I mean, I had to really work on on myself. And so what happened was even in our communication style, I had to, you know, I was very defensive. And Kathy also was very defensive. We didn't know how to communicate. But what I've learned over the years, and one of the things we say in the book, is that, you know, communication is a learned trait. So we can learn to communicate better, but we also are going to have to understand that we have to, you know, em- embrace those differences. I'm an extrovert, so I will have a shallow conversation with everybody at the party, and Kathy's an introvert, so she's going to sit on the couch and have a very deep and meaningful conversation. And then early on, we would leave the party, and I would say, hey, did you get to meet everybody? <laughs> and she'd say, no, but I, it's totally innocent. I, I loved my conversation with so-and-so, but what I was trying to say was, you, you were rude. You didn't meet everybody. Well, that was my impression. Now, I love that we're at some place and I see Kathy settle up next to somebody. They have this meaningful thing. I've even seen Kathy, you know, take their hands and pray with them and, you know, very, you know, good conversation. And, you know, I get back in the car and go, well, you know, I, kind of, I talked about, you know, we're in California. So, you know, I talked about the Dodgers and the Angels and now the Rams and the Chargers and, you know, life and the church, but it was all shallow. And, you know, that was, that's okay. But, you know, she's had to also learn to realize that, you know, that's me. I'm, I'm going to be the one who wants to be, you know, at the party the longest, and she's going to be the one who, you know, I've had enough. I want to leave. And we have to learn to, you know, embrace those differences. And, and for us, it was finances, you know, key issues of marriage. I mean, finances, even the way our kids did education, uh, the way we approach God. I mean, she th- I do the one-year Bible, and I've done it since 1983, every year, every time. And I just, that you know, turns me on. I love that. And, you know, Kathy just can't even understand that because she goes, why do you do the same thing every year? You know, she, she spends her time with God in a different way. So even the way we approach God, you know, is a little bit different. So I can't tell her to do my thing. She's tried it and she didn't think it was, you know, that for one year she thought it was really meaningful. And then she went on to something else. So again, we just have to learn to to celebrate those differences. And that takes wisdom and maturity and a, and a length of time, but also the knowledge of realizing that, um, you know, if you are what you are attracted to, you begin to attack. And, and we actually talk about that in, in the book and how, and, and how to learn to appreciate those, those uh, differences. And when you do, then your relationship is enhanced big time. We, uh, we not only celebrate the differences, but we choose the positive. We'll talk more about that uh, in the moments ahead uh, with Jim Burns. Jim, uh, president of Homeward, executive director of the Homeward Center for Youth and Family. And he has more than one and a half million resources in print, over 25 languages. And his radio broadcast heard here on Faith Radio and many other places around the country. You can join the conversation or sign up for a copy. We've got a couple copies of the first few years of marriage from Jim Burns and Doug Fields. Give that away at the top of the hour. Sign up at 877-933-2484, 877-93-FAITH. If you have a question, feel free to jump in with that as well. We'll get Jim around for another 15 minutes. But one of the things we're going to find out is what does it mean to be tone deaf in marriage? Stay tuned for that and more. Knowledge.
marriage is a blessing. There's no question about it. If we, you know, put a little time and effort into it, marriage when it's new, it's exciting, but, you know, time passes, couples can begin to drift, and there are challenges that are common in any marriage. So we're learning about uh, how we can strengthen your I do. Eight Ways to Strengthen Your I Do is the subtitle of Jim Burns' new book, The First Few Years of Marriage. He co-wrote it with Doug Fields. Both Jim and Doug are part of the Homeward Center for Youth and Family at the uh, Zuzu Pacific University, and uh, Jim is on the Homeward broadcast each weekend here on Faith Radio. Jim, one of the uh, areas that you talk about is uh, tone deafness. Uh, I don't know, you, you and I aren't going to do any singing together, but uh, well, say more about tone deaf, being tone deaf. Well, actually, you don't want me to sing, and, and you don't want my partner in crime here, Doug Fields, to sing either, because both of us are tone deaf. It's the funniest thing. I even, when I was younger, I tried to get some uh, you know, guitar lessons and from a, a friend of mine who was a worship leader, and he said, you know, you are you are just an uncoordinated strummer. And he said, plus, you're tone deaf. And I came back to Kathy to look for uh, strength. And I said, Kathy, his name's Bill. I said, Bill thinks I'm tone deaf. And she said, you are so tone deaf. She said, you know, like in church, I'll put my finger in my ear. And I said, well, I thought that was because you could then sing on key. She goes, yeah, I can sing on key because then I'm not listening to you. But, you know, I think a lot of us are tone deaf when it comes to our relationships. And uh, I know I get tone deaf. And I'll, I'll even tell you what I can even. I now know what my uh, kind of issues are, my triggers, if you would. If I'm hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, and for me, a lot of times it's tired. If I'm dangerously tired, boy, my my, uh, I go into you know sarcasm or pessimism um, pretty quickly. And so, what I've had to learn to do is at least see what I'm, how I'm tone deaf, and then you know how to how to change that. And for me, that means uh, to you know choose choose the positive. And and actually, I call it positive adaptability. And I got that from a guy named Neil Clark Warren, who uh, has been a mentor of mine for years. And uh, he's actually the everybody has seen his face because he's 83 years old and he has this beautiful head of hair and I don't. Um, but he's a he's a marriage expert and he's a Christian, happens to be the eHarmony founder, eHarmony.com. But I said to, to Neil once, I said, what is the greatest trait of compatibility? And he's an expert on compatibility. He said, without a, I mean, he didn't even pause. He said, it's being positive, and I would add being adaptable. And uh, I went, wow. And then he said, you know, stuff happens to everybody. And it's, if, it, if you're not in a crisis, you're going to be, you know, because things just happen. And he said, the people who do well through those things, because even people who have the same issues, some do well, some don't. He said it's because you know they're they're positive and they're adaptable, and I think that's part of the tone. You're, then you're setting a tone for a marriage. You're t- setting a tone for a relationship that's much more positive. You're setting the atmosphere, and uh, you know it takes. You've got to be proactive with that. I watched my mom do that. She was really good at it. Neil, my my dad was an alcoholic, and he wasn't a horrible guy. He was a functioning alcoholic, but you know he wasn't a great relationship guy. And my mom could set a tone, not fake or Pollyanna, but she could set this tone where. You know, people were drawn to her, and yet I'm sure she was mad at my dad, and I'm sure they had their, you know, their their moments. But in our home, it was a warm, loving place. And so I've tried to do that in my home with, with Kathy and with my kids. I want to be the person like my mom who brought, you know, affection, warmth, and encouragement. And that's really a tone, setting the tone. And it's a discipline because, you know, you can be angry 24-7, but I love the Winston Churchill, uh, you know, quote where he says, you know, if you throw stones at every barking dog, you're never going to get to where you want to go. And so tone-wise, I think sometimes we just have to swallow it. And for me, and Doug, too, we, we talk 
and I don't think it's in the book, but it's been something that we've been working on later because we, we speak together a lot. You know, one of our big things is we make people say, does it really matter? Hmm. And, uh, you know, the truth is, is well, let's take the toothpaste tube. You know, uh, some people squeeze, my wife squeezes, and I roll it like Jesus, of course, would do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that bugged me. And then all of a sudden I go, does it really matter? I mean, honestly, does it really matter that Kathy does the toothpaste tube differently? I mean, seriously, I'm getting angry at her for something that's just silly. And I had to learn that, no, it doesn't really matter. And I, I can be positive toward her. And we, we, we quote uh, a section uh, in our book. We call it the magic ratio. And we actually quote a man named John Gottman, who everybody who does marriage uh, you know, research quotes him because he's the you know, kind of, you know, king of marriage research, University of Washington. But he says something that if really a couple, he can tell if a couple's going to do well or not by the, by the positivity toward each other. So if you're positive toward your spouse, and he calls it a five-to-one ratio, then you're going to do well. But he said if it's a one-to-one, you're positive and negative, just one-to-one, he goes, that's, you know, bound to be a divorce if you're not careful. So it takes proactivity to set the tone. And I've found that, that that's, you know, that's key to my marriage that, you know, there are just things I, you know, Doug oftentimes says, don't say everything you think. And, you know, I've had to sometimes swallow uh, hard, bite my tongue and just not say it. And, uh, you know, it really enhances the, you know, the relationship. And I didn't really need to say it, uh, you know, to Kathy. And there you go. And by the end of it, you, you know, you look back and say, well, does it really matter? And the fact is probably 90 percent of the time it doesn't. No. And, and you know what? Sometimes, don't get me wrong, sometimes it does matter. And sometimes you've got to go, oh, my goodness, you know, I've put in enough deposits here. I'm going to take a withdrawal because this matters. And so you have that conversation. And that's where conflict you know, uh, management comes in. And that's, you know, you've got to learn to fight fair and whatnot. And we sure help young couples do that within this, within this uh, book project. But again, most of the time, it kind of doesn't matter. You know, now that I look back over all these years. Speaking of fighting, uh, you, you say that uh, fear is related. It's uh, yeah. part of marital conflict. How how are those related? Well, you know what's fascinating is a lot of fights stem from fear. And uh, you know, years ago, I learned this from from Gary Smalley, who was a, who passed away a year ago, but he was another mentor in my life. And you know, Gary basically thought that most conflict came from whatever your fear factor was. So, you know, you have a fear of rejection or you have a fear of failure or worthlessness or, you know, unhappiness or loss or whatever. And that's relating to how you're relating to your spouse. So one of the things we want to do, and we've, oh, this, we have helped so many uh, young marrieds with this, is what is your fear issue? You know, Doug uh, takes on this really well and he does a really good job. And one of the things he says is he, he wants to be liked. And so if his wife says, you know, Doug, um, I wish you would have taken, you know, the dirty plate to the sink, then in his mind, he goes to, his wife's name is Kathy, too, which gets real weird when we speak, because, you know, we both have Kathy spelled with a C. But, um, you know, he says, well, Kathy doesn't like me anymore. Well, no, Kathy just said, would you mind moving the, you know, the plate over? But his fear is this fear of, of rejection and not being liked. It comes from some family past in his life and whatnot. And so he had to get past that to realize that's his fear. That's his problem. That's not his wife's problem. She just simply said a very nice thing. Would you mind moving the plate over to the sink? And so when we get in touch with what our, our fear issues 
are. Um, my, I have a fear. I'm, I'm always trying to protect myself, my fragile self-image or something, and yet I'm, I'm created in God's image. I'm still having to deal with that. So with Kathy, I'll get defensive because I'm doing the path of protection rather than the path to intent to learn and kind of work through the conflict, and all of a sudden now we're being defensive about something that really had nothing to do with the you know, conflict. So what we're saying is, is fear is lurking behind most marital conflict. And, uh, and we try to help couples find out what that fear is. And then we, we actually teach them a little thing called the fear chase. We called it the conflict dance and the getting ready for marriage project. And this time we call it the fear chase. And uh, couples tend to really, really get that when they identify what their primary fear is. It really helps them move, move through that. And is, is the key to breaking that cycle or that chain, is it just forgiveness or is it just kind of, you know, re- rethinking, um, you know, maybe well, back in the does it matter category? Well, I think actually forgiveness is one of the threads throughout a, a good and healthy marriage, that if you don't have forgiveness, or if you don't give forgiveness and receive forgiveness, then, you know, it's going to be tough. I think part of it is also choosing a more healthy response. So a lot of times when we're in conflict, our response is not good. And then we move to a healthy response, and the ultimate goal then is exactly what you're saying. The ultimate goal is is forgiveness. And you know what's funny is we I had to learn how to do the forgiveness thing right. I didn't really know how to do that. And so I would forgive but not forget, or I would forgive and then still, you know, have contempt for whatever Kathy had said. And I had to I had to literally learn uh, that I can't repress this. I just simply have to you know, do forgiveness in the right way. And for me, it was, a, a, you know, I call it an arrogance issue. I would, in you know, my morning devotional time, I'd say, God, forgive me for uh, my sins. And they're a lot worse than what Kathy's doing. And yet I wouldn't forgive her for some of those because they, I still allowed to, rep- I, I, I repressed it or I allowed, you know, contempt to kind of come in. And, you know, that just doesn't work. Yeah. So forgiveness is, is critical to a, to a healthy uh, marriage. Yeah. Um, one of the areas you talk about, of course, the intimacy about uh, you know physical relationship, but you do talk about the value of the daily kiss. Let's uh, say more about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things that uh, we've said to couples for years is that you know kissing is very intimate. In fact, there's a movie; it's a secular movie, but the prostitute says, "I'll have you know physical intimacy." Well, I don't know that it's intimacy because that's, but she says, "I'll have sex with my clients." But I won't kiss them. That's way too intimate. And the point being is that um, we say that 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 kissing is important. We actually even talk about the issue of kissing. And, and uh, you know, Kathy and I challenge people to have the 15-second kiss a few times a day. And, you know, 15 seconds doesn't sound that long, but it kind of is. I remember we would do this when I would leave for work, and Kathy – I left earlier than Kathy, and my girls sometimes would go, Mom and Dad, you're embarrassing us. Well, it wasn't anything. It was just kissing. It was sealing it, saying, you know what? I don't kiss anybody like this. I'm going to kiss you. And then when I would come home, we would do that. And again, my kids at certain ages you know, teased us for it. Um, you know what? I'm watching. I have one daughter who's getting married next, next month, and I have another daughter who's married uh, and has been married a few years. And I'm watching them do that. I'm really, really proud of them, uh, you know, you know, sealing their love with a kiss. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It doesn't, it's not necessarily just talking about physical intimacy. It's talking about, you know, the connection that, that a kiss makes. So, you know, we have to be proactive. I I talked to somebody a while ago who said, you know, we really haven't kissed in about, well, eight, 10 years. And I went, that's terrible. Um, That, that, that's, that's a beautiful thing. And, you know, probably in premarital, they were kissing like crazy. Well, good for them. 
You know, we just got a minute or two left. I'm, I'm interested, Jim, was there a, a turning point for you and Kathy? Uh, you know, you said you'd struggled uh, early on in marriage, yeah. but was there sort of a sense where, hey, we've we've crossed the divide here now or we're, we're you know, the foundation's solid, we're moving on the right track? What, what did that look like? Yeah, there, there, for us, there was. We called it transitional generation. You know, the Bible says you inherit the sins of a previous generation, a third and fourth generation. And we said we're either going to recover or repeat. Both of us came from dysfunctional families. So we decided we would break that chain. And what we, we said, what will it take for us to break that chain of dysfunction? And uh, best decision we've ever made, hardest decision we've ever made. But for us, that meant humbly going and getting some marriage counseling. I have a background in that. So, you know, I'm even more humble that I had to, you know, go to, you know, and get some marriage counseling. It meant uh, that we read a, a marriage book a year. We went to a, a, you know, conference. I mean, we dug into this and uh, we watched it change. You know, when you talk about drift, well, we, it, what, this was like a boat. It was just a slow movement toward each other. And one day we looked up and said, you know, we haven't said the D word for a long time. Now, Kathy says the M word periodically, murder, but the D word, she had quit. <laughs> and, and in a neat way, Neil, we watched our marriage. All of a sudden, you know, we went, wow, people are asking us to be marriage mentors. And we never dreamed that would be the case. And um, not that we were perfect, but, you know, it, we watched this move in a better direction because we put energy into it. And we did what we're challenging people to do in this book, and that's build that sol- solid foundation early. We did some of that, you know, later in our marriage. Unfortunately, when I say later, I'm saying, you know, eight, ten years into it. So, you know, it's never too late to, to, to do this, but I wished we would have done it earlier. Jim Burns, uh, always providing great insight for us. Uh, Jim Burns and Doug Fields have written a new book called The First Few Years of Marriage, Eight Ways to Strengthen Your I Do. Uh, Jim and Doug both lead the Homeward Center for Youth and Family at Azusa Pacific University, and they speak to thousands of people around the world each year. They've uh, got the many resources in print, and you can find out more homeward.com. You want to find out about this book or the other great resources available. Uh, Jim, uh, blessings to you. I love having you on uh, Faith Radio and love the opportunity to connect whenever we can. Well, Neil, great to be with you anytime, and, and I love Faith Radio, too. You're just doing great, great stuff for the kingdom. Thank well, you. Enjoy uh, time with the grandson this afternoon, and we'll talk again down the road. Ye- yes, sir. Okay. All right. All right. Well, uh, coming up in uh, just a moment, we continue here on Connecting Faith. It's uh, Wednesday, and we have the opportunity to connect with Leith Anderson as we talk faith, culture, and the church, and we'll get to that just ahead. Stay tuned. At 48 past the hour, uh, every other Wednesday, we have the opportunity to look at culture and through the eyes of faith and talk about the church and and how we can be living out our faith more effectively. That's something we're passionate about here in Connecting Faith. Leith Anderson is our guest on a regular basis. He serves as president of the National Association of Evangelicals. He pastored in Wooddale Church in Eden Prairie, Minnesota for 35 years and has written some uh, 20 books uh, one of them here not too long ago came uh, came out, Faith in the Voting Booth, Practical Wisdom for Voting Well. And Alethe, I always love chatting with you. Uh, Ted and I look forward to these conversations, so thanks for coming on. Hey, great to be with you on, isn't today the last day of summer? 
Uh, officially, is it? Uh, I think that it's might be right. actually Thursday. So, uh, isn't it? Um, yeah, oh, so, equinox yeah. coming up. Yeah. The last day of summer. Yes, but uh, yeah, we're <laughs> so we're we're uh, we're uh, we're ready in season and out or something. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, and with the changing seasons, Leith, of course, comes the changing fall schedule. We're in the midst of it now, and in the thick of it as we're up and running with school and churches too. It was back to church Sunday last week. Can you tell us again the findings about how most people come to church? Yeah, well, Ted, lots of uh, research has been done on how and why newcomers visit a church. And, of course, there are multiple reasons, but there is one reason that clearly leads the list. People come to church because they're invited by somebody from the church. That uh, When church members invite their friends and relatives, churches grow. And if people in the church don't invite, then churches tend to stagnate or to shrink. But that kind of begs another question, and that is, why do church people invite others? And the answer to that is they invite because they like their church, because they're excited about its ministry, and that they feel comfortable that if a friend visits, that friend is going to have a positive experience. They won't be embarrassed. The music, the sermon will be good. The the visitor won't be discouraged, but will leave with hope in Jesus. But too often... We tend within our churches to feel so comfortable that we really don't understand how difficult it may be for a visitor. You know, I tell pastors and church leaders what they ought to do is try taking off a Sunday and go visit a congregation that is really different. I mean, really different, and experience what it's like to be a visitor in unfamiliar surroundings. Hmm. I remember one time when Charlene and I were on vacation and we went to this church and. Seriously, we didn't know when to sit and we didn't know when to stand and we messed up the Lord's Prayer and it was obvious that we didn't belong and some guy next to her turned and told her that it was obvious that we didn't belong. And and this kind of experience, I think, then helps us to understand what other people may experience from us. But anyway, back to your question. Advice for those who want to invite, um, just tell your own positive experiences at your church. Talk it up for a few months and then... One day say, you know, you ought to come with me sometime. See what they say, just to be natural and comfortable and positive. And one more thing, because this is a topic I really care about, and that is that when newcomers come and like the church, and when they come back again, they are the ones who become the very best recruiters Mm. because they have loads of unchurched friends outside the church, and they start inviting them and explaining why they like it and why they're comfortable, and then that gets rolling and the church starts growing. Yeah. Good, uh, good reminder again, and uh, you know, that, to look at our, our all that we're doing uh, through the eyes of a of a visitor or a first timer or a seeker is going to make a little difference. I guess probably not the you know pastors. You you didn't ask ask, ask people to stand up and uh, you know wear a wear a little a newcomer badge or anything, did you? <laughs> you know that may have worked in a different generation, but it wasn't my generation. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Lee, I was reading World Magazine not too long ago about uh, North Korea, and obviously uh, that's been much in the news uh, lately, but uh, they they talked about the church had a significant presence in uh, North Korea at the time. And I'm just wondering, do you, you – know, we live in a day where we just it just looks so ominous and think, you know, could, could God do a great work in that uh, that nation once again? God has miraculously surprised us in the past. I mean, who could have imagined uh, in the early church, the Roman Empire, that the entire empire would pretty much convert from paganism to Christianity? It was amazing. And, and who could have guessed a generation ago, actually less than a generation ago, that China would now be 
the seventh largest Christian nation in the world. Some are predicting that by the year 2025, China may have the largest Christian population in the world, and how good it would be if North Korea came to Jesus. But, you know, we also need to remember that North Africa used to be a majority Christian. Today it's not. Or that just a decade ago there were one and a half million Christians in Iraq. You know, now they're down to about 200,000. So it's kind of a dramatic reminder that politics and foreign policy impact the church and, and the reach of the gospel. You know, I, I don't know the, the solution to the challenges of North Korea. It is extremely complex and difficult. Um, but what we need to do is our part as Christians and, and pray for God's miraculous intervention and peace. The, the largest Christian populations in the world now are the United States, Brazil, Mexico, Russia, the Philippines, Nigeria, and China. I mean, it would just be great to add North Korea to that yeah. list. Yeah. You know, uh, you're talking about you know how politics plays a part. Uh, there was not too long ago a noted religious leader suggested our president had a mandate to take out uh, Kim Jong-un. Um, you know, it's easy to say things that, um, you know, maybe kind of off the off the cuff that really get taken out of context or that puts Christianity perhaps in a bad light. Yeah, well, threatening to take out a head of state is an approach that I would not take. And if it's, you know, the quote that I think you're referring to, there was... Um, sort of a claim of speaking for God, and I don't want to speak for God when it comes to taking out another person. Yeah, indeed. Mm-hmm. You're talking with Leif Anderson again here, the president of the National Association of Evangelicals on Connecting Faith. Well, last month there was a podcast that uh, the NAE put out, and it was with Thrivent CEO Brad Hewitt. Any uh, money principles you want to share with us that came out of that well, I won't speak for Brad Hewitt, but there is a podcast. You're right. It's available at NAE.net. Thrivent is, I think it's the only nonprofit Fortune 500 company. It's an amazing organization. And Brad also has a book. I'll recommend his book. It's called uh, Your New Money Mindset, Create a Healthy Relationship with Money. In it, he calls for a right relationship with God and with money. But he doesn't exactly in the book tell us, I don't know, how to use a credit card or balance a checkbook. So if you're looking for good money advice, um, let me go back a little before Brad Hewitt to John Wesley. This is worth memorizing. Earn all you can, give all you can, save all you can. You know, we know that um, we've got a shortage of good financial habits for Americans. We, We tend to think on the short term and not the long term. We have too much debt and too little savings for emergencies and retirement. And so greater stewardship, Christian stewardship, calls us to think about the future and spend less on the short term. You know, speaking of uh, giving all we can, obviously relief efforts continue in southeast Texas and Florida and the Caribbean. Uh, You know, it's not always front page news. And sometimes I think maybe our interest or prayer support lacks as well. Uh, Any thoughts on how we can kind of just keep our minds focused on those needs? The challenge is that with the Internet and with the news cycle, it is so easy to forget very quickly the the trauma that people have recently gone through. I was just touched, I think it was yesterday or today, when the mayor of uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico, with tears in her eyes, uh, looked in the camera and said to the rest of America, please don't forget us. You know, we're in the news now, but please don't forget us. 
And you know, you know, I, I don't know a, a good answer to that because there are so many needs. What we probably need to do is say there is one that God is calling me to. It may be Texas, it may be Florida, it may be some of these tragedies in other countries like the earthquake in Mexico, and say this is the one that God is calling me to give to, this is the one that God is calling me to volunteer in, this is the one that God is calling me to pray for, and trust the Lord to recruit other people to focus on different ones. And th- I mean that's okay, right? We don't have to maybe feel guilt about that, do we? certainly don't need to feel guilt because we can't, you know, there's 7 billion people in the world and we can't be responsible for all of them, but we can make a difference. And that's that's why we're part of a community. That's the whole idea of the Church of Jesus Christ, that no one of us can do everything, but together we can do a lot more than we could individually accomplish. Uh, NAE uh, is uh, got always uh, connections to uh, wonderful resources, uh, world relief uh, a ministry of the National Association of Evangelicals, and they work globally where there's great need as well. You can find out more, nae.net. I did want to mention, too, that I know I think your podcast this month is with Gary Haugen from International Justice Mission, so that would be recommended listening as well, Leith. Uh, appreciate what you do for us and coming on with us. I always benefit from our conversations. And it's always great to talk to you. You've got the best of topics. Uh, Leith Anderson is president of the National Association of Evangelicals and a longtime pastor and author talking with us today here on Connecting Faith. And again, if you want to find out more about the good work of the National Association of Evangelicals, you can go to nae.net. If you uh, enjoyed the uh, conversation earlier today with Jim Burns talking about the first few years of marriage, we'll post that interview on our show page uh, right after the show. So you can check that out, listen to it again, or pass it on to a friend. Go to myfaithradio.com and then click on Connecting Faith. Thanks for listening to this Connecting Faith podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support, and you can make a gift right now at myfaithradio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Connecting Faith, you can subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the awareness and impact of Connecting Faith.